Kansas City fans. My name is Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, the recent Carnage Bach Lesnar. And today we have some great news: the Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, boy! That's a Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. Super, super, super Bowl. Super, no, super, now. super Bowl. Super. <coughs> Would you done. know? I for, sorry, I'm choking. Keep it in the podcast. Did you know? <laughs> did you know that there's a? Uh, I forgot who the baseball player is, but he's gonna make that his his uh, walk-in song. What the uh, oh. the uh, Whopper Whopper song? <laughs> okay, he has to do the one that's junior double triple though, because that totally makes sense. Oh, for oh that does. That's oh, that'd be so good. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, the Chiefs are going to. Oh, sorry, Reese. Do, do we want to no, talk about Burger King for a little not, bit? <laughs> no, I don't want to give that song any more time than it already has on the air. What? It's so dumb. It's just no. It's just dumb. I bet like it's so dumb that it's perfect. I think. I think it. It's, no, it's just like, like, dumb. Like like they had a team meeting and they're like, "What is the stupidest thing that we can do and make it so stupid that it's genius?" I don't think so. I think they were digging for gold and struck oil. I think they really. Like, I, I think it's just a basic commercial that was so bad, but not terrible bad that it like reversed and memed in on itself. And I say this because this happens in professional wrestling all oh, the here time. Like so, I'll give you an example. There's this big like I think he's Bulgarian dude. His name's uh his name's Miro. Back when he's in WWE, uh. They kept giving him these stupid, stupid gimmicks. I mean, this dude's like as wide as he is tall. And like, you know, he's super jacked. He looks like a Soviet from like a Rocky film sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they give him these stupid things. And they eventually pair him with this other guy who they've given stupid things. And like, they're both over it at this point. Like, these these gimmicks are so stupid that you've given us that we're just going to go like half sarcastic with this. Like, screw it. What do we care? We're not going anywhere in this company anyway. And like, it was so bad that it became good and like they got so <laughs> over with the crowds buying into what they called it Rusev Day. His, sorry. In WWE his name was Rusev. So like they called it Rusev Day and like every day was Rusev Day. You know, it's like you go across the street and you get a small coffee. Congratulations. Happy Rusev Day. And like they had the audience like singing along with them whenever they came out and then it was all this to say that's what the Whopper thing happened was was the Whopper thing was so dumb I think that just people memed it into submission that oh this is that meme this is cool now and that's why it is where it is <laughs> well for those of you that are, are are just joining us for the first time we are not a WWE WW formerly known as WWF podcast Reese just has an affinity for it and we'll we'll bring up some great adages or some great comparisons to all those things uh, we are a Kansas City sports and Kansas City craft beer podcast particularly the Kansas City Chiefs so if if this is the first time that you're listening to us welcome to this podcast we have a lot of fun obviously on this podcast we're starting off with some hot takes on burger king um but mainly we talk about the kansas city chiefs and we're so excited to talk about patrick mahomes and the kansas city chiefs going to their 
third Super Bowl appearance in five years. Can you believe that, Reese? We are, we're so spoiled right now as Kansas City Chiefs fans, and I love it. I love being spoiled, man. Three out of three out of five. Can you can you freaking believe it? Today, Dan Orlovsky puts Patrick Mahomes second on the all-time list of quarterbacks. Talk about man. living in the moment, but I'm just like, whatever. We don't like you, Dan Orlovsky, but for now, whatever. Take it, dude. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, let's freaking go. So we are a, like I said, uh, Kansas City Chiefs podcast. You can find us all over the place. Reese will give us a little social media burp blurb right now but one thing that kind of sets us aside from other sports podcasts is Reese and I used to work in the beer industry Um, so if you go back to our episodes we actually have a about 150 episodes now we got chiefs content but we also have craft beer content where we talk about craft beer we also in the middle of the podcast we will crack open a craft beer and we'll rate that craft beer then we also have interviews from sports athletes but as well as craft beer professionals reese if they want to hear more about our podcast or even donate on patreon how can they find us online in the interwebs all right. If you really like what you hear, you can find us on Instagram at Fountain City SM, where you'll get Insta, where you will get previews of every week's episode, as well as dank memes about this week in Kansas City sports. We, we, have, we have a really good one, by the way. Reese, Reese made an excellent uh, meme after the AFC Championship game, so you have to check oh. that out on Instagram. Yeah, go check that out. Go check that out. That's a great A, man. Oh, whoops, I said. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. It's great A. If you really like this grade A-ish that we're putting out here, you can find us on <laughs> Patreon at patreon.com backslash FCSM, where for just the price of one cup of coffee a month, that's $2 a month, you can get access to premium Fountain City sports media content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive miniseries, such as Speedy and Angry, our 10-part in-depth deep dive into the Fast and Furious franchise. Coming up next is the final of the films that are currently out which is fast and furious 9 where john cena plays dom toretto's brother so you better believe i'm looking forward to seeing that one but uh patreon.com backslash fcsm Excellent, Reese. All right. Well, before we talk about the game, you know, this is a family pod. Reese and I are very close friends, and we do, we'd like to hang out. So, Reese, what anything new this week that you want to tell the audience? Or, like, tell them about you, like, crying during the game. Oh, yeah, me crying during <laughs> the game. So, yeah, so I'll just tell you about my Super Bowl experience, uh, or AFC title game experience, I should say. I, I went over and kicked it with the rad Russian Alex Nikolenko's parents over at uh they live in these dope townhouses like two blocks from us not too dissimilar from like where you where you just left like oh not really the exact same layout but like s- exact similar kind of concept you know oh cool uh and i'm super happy i went over to watch the game with them a because it was the kind of game that I'm like if we lose this i'm gonna need people around me to like this just like diffuse the negativity because oh, i will totally. just i'll be a black hole of negativity if we lose to the Bengals again but two we gotta get the rad russian's dad on here because he has beer club members with some exclusive breweries in St. Louis, including Perennial. Oh, no so way. Like, like you, you're familiar with Abraxas from Perennial, are you? No. So Abraxas is one of, like, some people I think would actually consider it maybe like the heady topper of Imperial Stouts. Oh, like, wow. kind of in that vein. And it's, it's pretty hard to come by. You don't see it all that. And, like, when you do, it's pretty expensive. Do you know the number of Abraxas bottles I've just popped through with him? <laughs> And Alex, it's incredible. It's just like, do you want the Abraxas 2021 or do you want the reissue 20? And it's just like, I don't know. I wonder what those go on the secondary market. I bet people sell those for like 200 a pop. 
Oh, easy. Because I'm not sure Perennial distributes that far, you know. But we've talked about it on the podcast before. You know, St. Louis has got a sleeper, stonk craft beer Oh, scene. totally. Yeah, I know Perennial yeah. is one of the best. Perennial's dope. Urban Chestnut's dope. Uh, Four Hands is dope. Sure. There's, some other, there's just so many I can't name them all right now. Uh, so, yeah, that's why I'm glad I spent AFC title game kicking it with them and celebrating a Chiefs win. What about Excellent. you? Um, what did I do? I was with my in-laws. Uh, Logan and I just bought a house, so we're super excited. I don't know if I talked about that on the cow- on the on the podcast, but you mentioned uh, you had a bid in on it. Yeah, we well, what had happened? So like the house, it, it's a it's a built-in or built-in home. It's a new home um, in a in a neighborhood north of Greeley. So like a really really new neighborhood so the prices are a little bit cheaper which is nice um mm-hmm. and i guess th- this person made a custom home and they couldn't like something happened with their during the closing that they had to like leave it so like they just had this one house they brought the price down on it and it was just like we swept in at the right time man so i'm already like i already have my uh, amazon queue i got this mm. drum drum smoker that i'm gonna get mm. um because the offset smokers that I had, like even even the crappy one that I have, I feel if I, I get a good offset smoker, it's I'm still gonna be like um, set like tinkering with the with the temperature all the time. Like yeah. I don't think it matters if it's a good or bad offset smoker. If you get an offset smoker, it's just really hard to control the, the temp. So I'm gonna get one of those like tall Weber smokers where you put oh, yeah. the smoke on the bottom and it yep. and it and the charcoal and then it evens out on the top. And that's actually what they do in. In, um, in like competition barbecue, like com- like in in Olathe, I was I was watching some Netflix stuff, and I was like, all right, screw it. So anyway, all to say, I'm like super excited for this house, and um, but we're but we're living with our in laws right now with my in laws, um, so we watch it with them. And that's a lot of, I'm like, the, well, we're all Chiefs fans, but I'm obviously I'm like the the diehard of the group, so it's really hard to like sometimes be super euphoric or not euphoric and then my baby's there trying to like sleep uh, so oh, yeah. that was that was kind of fun but oh man it was it was such a good game and my my father-in-law is a big football fan so it was a lot of fun talking football with him um man I had a really good time and now and now i'm in louisville louisville which would have been really awkward if if uh, if the Bengals won because Louisville or Cincinnati is literally like 20 minutes away from Louisville and I would have been here during the Super Bowl and I probably would have gone to Cincinnati to watch the game just to give people crap and our friend yeah. Buffalo Mike who's a Bills fan is here in Louisville with me so we would have gone over there and probably gotten in a fight so it would be really fun now to watch the Super Bowl here in Louisville. I'm having a good time singing with um, Kentucky Opera. I am walking distance from the Evan Williams Experience Distillery. I'm walking distance from Mitra's Distillery. I'm walking distance from Angel's Envy Distillery. Um, yeah. Just like so many great things on Whiskey Row. Last night I went to go see a Louisville Cardinals game. They had won two games total, and they finally won their third game against the last place Georgia Tech. Oh my gosh! Congratulations! Glad to hear. <laughs> like it. it's an incredible Sorry. stadium, but it's like uh, apparently the Louisville basketball team is awful this year, and they they played really bad basketball, dude. Like like they they literally played iso ball the entire time. I don't think one play was set up. It was like they oh, just give them the ball and they're like, all right, just have fun, guys. And I was like, are you wow. kidding me? Not even like a pick and roll anywhere. What the heck? Yeah, it's, it's so weird because who's their coach? Did they just like fall off the face of the earth when Rick Patina got kicked out of there? Yeah, yeah, totally. And they got like, I think they got scholarship suspensions as well. So I don't think they can recruit as much. Of course they did. That's so weird. 
He was so their coach Kenny Payne served as an assistant coach with the Knicks. All right, end it right there. <laughs> All right, we're done here. He was an he was assistant or associate head coach with both the University of Oregon and the University of Kentucky. So he's probably like a Cal Dana Altman, you yeah. know, assistant. Why is he not good? <laughs> you, you know who was really awesome to watch is uh, Georgia Georgia Tech's um, head coach. I don't know who he is, but dude is like 5'6". He's like suited up and like kind of looks built, but like totally has this like, you know, short guy complex. And yeah. he, dude was like squaring up while, while there was like an inbounds play. He's like, come on! He was like, get down. And he's like, dude is like in like a four point stance, like teaching them how to play defense, like right then and there. And I'm like, this guy is so embarrassing, but also extremely animated. So oh, yeah, I had, dude. I had more fun watching that guy yell at everybody than anything else. Dude, if you want to see some really fundamental, great basketball, that's made infuriating by the conference's complete inability to recruit, you got to come check out some Missouri Valley basketball. Oh, God. Arch Madness in St. Louis, dude. Like, when Missouri Valley basketball is good, it's real good. Really? When Missouri Valley basketball is bad, it's real bad. <laughs> oh, my gosh, dude. It's like, so here's the problem. Half the teams either don't recruit anybody. Like, for example, I have my alma mater. You and I, as this thing, we're like, all right, we need as many 6'4 guards as you can get us. Our power forward's also going to be center. He's going to be like 6'8 and like 245 pounds. I'm like, wow, this is fantastic when we play teams that have any symbols of height. But then, like, the flip side of that is you get teams like Illinois State that they're getting all these guys from, like, Detroit and Atlanta and Miami and all, you know, all these, like, big metropolitan areas. But they're like the 10th seed scrubs from those really? areas. You know, it's like they're from those big cities, but they're playing in the valley for a reason sort of thing, you know. So <laughs> it's it's kind of like it's kind of like when a movable force meets an stoppable object, you know, it's just but I say that when there's actually a lot of good X's and O's in the Missouri Valley in terms huh. of that. So if you like low scoring basketball, like 65 to 61. <laughs> Oh, dude, I'll tell you what. Some of the stuff they come up with out of the timeout or, like, you know, inbounds pass plays and stuff. It, I'm just going to say, there's a reason that all those Missouri Valley teams, like, were spanking Kansas in the NCAA tournament for as long as they did. Wow. And why you've seen teams like Wichita State and not so much Creighton, but, you know, those kind of teams go to bigger, better conferences yeah. now. It's like, there, there is really good ball being played in the conference. Oh, totally. And like the jump shooters are probably some of the best. Obviously, Doug, Doug McDermott's dad, he, he runs Creighton. Um, yeah, great, great teams, great shooters. Uh, speaking about great shooters, Reese, the, the, M, the M NFL equivalent of great shooters is the Kansas City Chiefs. We beat the Cincinnati Bengals finally. We finally beat him and we beat him to go to the Super Bowl. And Reese, I am so fired up. You know, I love the conversations that we just had, but this is going to be the most fired up that you hear me on the podcast ladies and gentlemen we're going to talk about such a great win such a great win i know there's things that that our opponents will talk about cincinnati is still talking about certain things on twitter as we speak but they we were kick rocks we're going to address all those things exactly you can kick, kick rocks cincinnati mayor get out of here jabroni it, it, now we have implemented reese can we implement the cincinnati mayor curse and start the cincinnati mayor curse on this podcast 
Dude, I hope this disseminates because I was talking about this before this entire thing started saying, yo, you know how this team already hasn't won and now they have a chance to get really close to winning their first one? They're the kind of city, much like Chicago and the Billy Goats, much like Boston and the Bambino thing, that if they're looking for a scapegoat to point this on, they can blame this on the mayor. And A, not only could this psychologically curse the team for decades to come, but B, I want to know what that mayor's approval rating is right now and oh. how he does when his term's up and if he runs for office again. Because I think there's a very good <laughs> chance that City's like, yep. oh, that's the guy from the from the video who cost us the AFC title game. I know I have something that's from Boston now, but uh, something about let's toss him in the water, you know? <laughs> now they're from Minnesota. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I also don't want to put fuel to the fire and make this a connection, but today we just found out that Joe Mixon is arrested also for aggravated assault. Um, so, I mean, again, I don't want to like make a curse or anything, but that's not good. That, I mean, no. the chances of him playing next year and Samaj P. Ryan being their running back number one, I don't know. I mean, we can talk about this later, Reese, but, um, well, no, let's talk about it later. But I'm going to precursor and say this could have been the Bengals' best chance to win, honestly. Like, they, their window's closing. Everyone's talking about Joe Burrow's going to reset the market. You can't keep Chase, Boyd, and Higgins for very long. Um, and then they're going to have to reload on their offensive line that's already decimated, recently decimated. So there's a lot of holes that need to be fixed, and this could have been their best chance. And it was close, Reese, but it did not happen. The Chiefs win. 23 to 20. Reese, if I would have told you in week, I don't know, four or five, when you and I are screaming on this podcast saying, why is Joshua Williams out there? Why is Jalen Watson out there? Why is Sky Moore taking punts? Why is Harrison Butker missing extra, extra points? If I would have told you at that moment, Reese, at that exact moment, that in the fourth quarter, Joshua Williams was going to get an interception, we were going to almost score a touchdown doesn't happen then we make a stop then sky Moore with 39 seconds left to end the game it's tied sky Moore has like a 30 plus yard punt to then set up harrison butker for a game-winning field goal to take us to the super bowl what would you have said in week four or five reese i did not believe you yeah, I thought they were all going to be our downfall. I mean, in one way or the other, you can go back and listen to. I mean, you, we've kept all the receipts on here. Yeah. Oh, totally. Sky and Moore both of us agree. Out of punt duties. Yeah, Sky Skymore kicked himself out of punt duties at some point, you know. And Harrison Butker, you know, was really struggling. And I think, I think he was one of the worst statistical kickers in the league this year, which is a far cry for him. You know, uh, I before the season, I was ripping on Chris Jones, being like, "Get a postseason sack, you know, Mister Sack Nation," and he'll really show up. So. uh yeah, I, I think all those storylines coming to a head at this point is very Hollywood. I think it's a good chief story that we won the AFC title game and shook the Bengals and made the Super Bowl. I think it's a Hollywood story if they can beat the Eagles, but I think it's going to be a very tall task 
to do yeah. at this juncture. Yeah, I mean, even even uh, well, we'll get to that next week. I I have I have some things to say about that. But I mean, I didn't even mention Patrick Mahomes, you know, high ankle sprain, where even though we know he was getting treatment for five hours a day um, for the past week, we didn't know what he was going to look like, and he looked great. But in that fourth quarter, Reese, it looked pretty helpless. You can see whatever drugs he was on, those were dissipating, and he started to hobble a little bit. We'd actually had talked about that with our um, with another person on our chat. Dr. Michael Zhang had said that it said, you know, at some point in the game, there is going to you, you you are going to see Patrick Mahomes have fatigue because those drugs cannot last an entire game. In fact, I think before the game in the preview, someone had said Patrick couldn't take one of the shots right before the game. So I think he was playing with pain and it was really catching up to him on the fourth. We can break down. I mean, we're, we're going to break down the game in detail right now, but but Reese. I think the big storyline is is just how this team plays through adversity. And I don't know any other I don't know any other sports team, Reese, right now that plays through so much adversity as the Kansas City Chiefs do. Like I feel like the Chiefs are always behind at some point and they always come back and the odds are always against them, right? The Bengals are 4-0 against us. Patrick Mahomes has a high ankle sprain. Chris Jones has never had a sack. We got three rookies playing cornerback, right? Plus Brian Cook playing because I forgot who else was out. We had we had Legere Sneed out and, and for some reason Brian Cook was seeing a lot. So we got McDuffie, we got Watson, Williams, and Brian Cook, four rookies in the back playing in the AFC Championship game and playing well. I mean, just an amazing story came the City Chiefs for us to have all those guys playing and and oh my gosh, I'm just I'm just so happy, Reese. I'm so happy. Let's talk about winners. Obviously, we've kind of talked about that already. But who's your biggest winner in this game, Reese? Uh, I think my biggest winner in this game, for me, I would say Patrick Mahomes for putting the team on his back, which was being held up by one ankle. And the fact that, you know, we we can't talk enough about, you you alluded to the injuries we had during the game. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I I jotted these things down. I just want to point these things out. We lost Legereus Sneed on the second defensive snap of the game. Ugh. You know, it's it's not like he was out last game and we had a week to game plan that we knew he wouldn't be there. We lost our best cover yep. corner on the against, second against the best receiving core, also including Joe Mixon in the NFL right now. Higgins, Chase, Boyd, and Mixon. Second snap of the game, stupid fluke play. He's out. Later on in the game, we also lose Willie Gay, who's arguably our athletic Jeez. and best linebacker, out. Also, we lost Kadarius Toney after about two or three fantastic plays to a freak ankle injury. McCool Hardman, he's back. Guess what? He had like two receptions and re-aggravated his abdomen. Okay, cool. Juju Smith-Schuster, where did he go? Oh, now we're being told that he had a knee injury and he's out of the game as well. I want to point this out to everybody that we had a big third down conversion by Marcus Kemp. Yep. You may Shout have heard out that Marcus name, Kemp, like, baby. Who's Marcus Kemp, you might ask? He's a career special teamer whose statistics include 24 tackles and four catches. In his career, he has four catches. Now, people are saying, like, well, you know, Joe Burrow lost his wide receiver three and Tyler Boyd. Guess what? Tyler Boyd would be the number one receiver on this team, and he's Joe Burrow's number three. 
Joe Burrow still had two dudes to throw to. Patrick Mahomes is throwing to Marcus Kemp. We didn't have anybody else to line up. No, we had one more person to line up at receiver, which was Amir Smith-Marset. That's right. <laughs> I'm an Iowa stan. He's a six-round pick out of Iowa who had a cup of coffee in Minnesota. Dude, Amir Smith-Marset coming in is when you know things are incredibly <laughs> desperate. So I don't want to hear the fact that the Bengals are like, oh, we got cheated out of this game. You lost to a one-legged Patrick Mahomes throwing to a bunch of UPS drivers who had yes. tight ends lining up in wide receiver formations <laughs> just to fill the gap, and you still couldn't get the job done? Oh, my gosh, really? Reese. Hell, yeah. And also, our, our, our running game wasn't working either, right? Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, 26 yards total with a, with a total of 42 yards on the ground for all of our all of our running backs running plays. Like, nothing was working for the Kansas City Chiefs. There, there's zero excuse for the Bengals. And he left late in the game, too. He got his bell rung and left That's late right. in the game. We had nobody. I think I got a text message from Andy saying, like, yo, what's your ETA to Arrowhead? Can you play right guard? Yeah, Trey Smith got out for a series too. Yeah, he had that's a weird right. injury. He came back, but he was out for a hot second. That's right. Yeah, I mean, like it again. The, the grit that this team has, and Patrick Mahomes having zero fear. Right, like like he had gone down. I forget it was like a third and eight that he like uh, Sam Hubbard went right on his ankle. I mean, like right on his ankle right before he then did that that run that I forget that guy's name that pushed him out of bounds. We'll talk about that later. But the fact that we are never out of a game no matter what happens even when the ups drivers come out of of the woodwork to to play on the line like patrick mahomes is the quarterback and we always have a chance actually this is unrelated but it's kind of a cool story um michael wilbon was talking to michael jordan and the year that tom brady i forget who he was playing it was it was like it was the deflate gate year and he comes back to win the Super Bowl. The day before the Super Bowl, Will Bond and Michael Jordan are sitting together. And, and oh, actually, I think Ray Lewis was there too. And Ray Lewis talks about specifically why Tom Brady is going to lose. And Michael Jordan goes, I know you know way more than football than I do, but I know a winner. And he's like, Tom Brady's going to win this Super Bowl. And then they like did a bet, and Michael Wilbon did not disclose what that bet was, but we know Michael Jordan is probably a big bet. And he, and by God, we you know we don't like Tom Brady, but Tom Brady won. And then Michael Wilbon or Michael Jordan calls Michael Wilbon and just goes, "Ha ha! I told you, I know winners." And you know what? I'm Michael Jordan right now, Reese. If we have Patrick Mahomes, it does. I don't. I don't care what scheme the Philadelphia Eagles have. I don't care that we were three or three and oh, four and oh, or sorry, zero oh and four against the Bengals. We have Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes is a freaking winner, no matter what. On one leg, on no legs, we got Patrick Mahomes, and he's the man. Let's freaking go! Dude, I love how psyched you are. Uh, I've heard the exact same story about Michael Jordan and Mike Wilbon when Mike Jordan drafted Frank Kazmicki to the, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> We got a winner, baby! <laughs> and Cody Zeller and Michael Plumley and like everyone else they've drafted on the team for like, the last 15 years. <laughs> Yo, I actually yo, think any- I actually think Miles Plumley lives across from me right now in Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing for the like the G League Louisville Lumberjacks or something like that. Oh, hold on. 
red Michael Jordan. Okay, while you do that, I'll talk about my winner. While you do hit it, you know what? Give okay. So another person that we talked about on this podcast a lot in a not a good way is Marquez Valdez Scantley. <laughs> Reese, let's give your boy some flowers because when everybody was going down, Marquez stepped up. Six receptions for 116 yards with a long of almost 30. And he had eight targets, so he actually played really well. Uh, one of my favorite plays was that touchdown that he had in the end zone when in the red zone sorry Patrick Mahomes with like the smallest margin of error against Eli Apple just gets it right into the pocket right to Marquez to then score the touchdown he had an amazing game and I'm, I'm really excited because we've been really hard on him right and and for good reason right it, it always seemed like and even in this game in the beginning of the game it always seems like Pat and Marquez are not on the same page like something's happening where either Pat wants him to improvise from the play or just Marquez isn't doing the play at all because they are like not even close to where the ball should be so we've always criticized him for that but man he had some great plays today Marquez stepping up give that guy his flowers yeah I gotta say here uh I think now's a good opportunity to transition into the fact that I have multiple cold snack take backs <laughs> to give here Can about we, we six of them this? let's just do them yeah <laughs> Marquez, sorry, Marquez Valdez Scantling getting my first cold snack take back. As Armando said, he balled out in a situation where we were at the bottom of the barrel in regards to options at receiver. And it kind of felt like the Albert Wilson game with Patrick Mahomes' very first start against the Denver Broncos in 2018. Remember when he had all the second stringers and it was oh, the, uh, right. the week 16 and they're just like sitting all the starters. And Mahomes kind of zeroed in on his one good receiver in that game, which was Albert Wilson. He said, guess what? You're getting fed. You're going to have to catch all these balls. <laughs> Lo and behold, he did. Lo and behold, it worked out great. Uh, that's exactly what happened in this game. He said, guess what? I'm running out of options. MVS, you're the most talented person out there for a receiver. It's like, you're going to have to start catching some of these balls. And man, it wasn't just the receptions he made. It wasn't just the crispness of his routes. It was the extra effort like that first down he got on third down where he extended out with what felt like his Michael Jordan at the end of Space Jam dunk arms and just kissed that first yeah. down marker on oh, oh my gosh that was it's like where has that hustle been all year and the fact that there was that touchdown he caught in the third quarter where Pat rifled it like 25 yards and you know made it past the receiver into the window he catches it at first, I thought it was picked off. Alex and I were both like, what just happened? Like, did he get picked off? And then, like, <laughs> it felt like an eternity later, he puts his arm up in the air with the ball. And I'm like, what the heck just happened? And they show the replay. I'm like, no freaking way. I'm like, APAC got that there. B MVS caught that. It's like, how many times have we seen the, the dichotomy of this game is that, you know, Joe Burrow throws that jump ball up into the corner to T. Higgins. Oh, it was and T. Higgins doesn't, doesn't even have to jump, just puts yeah. his arms up and like brings it down between two defenders. I'm like, that's so unfair that he has that ability. Because yeah. like, the number of times Pat's thrown it to like a dude on the numbers, and he just like he drops it. It's just like that's what we have to deal with. So MVS like just decided to go super say in this game and start catching everything thrown his way. We could not have won this game without Marquez Valdez Scantling. Showing why he's getting paid the money he's getting paid. He is my first Montucky Cole snack take back of this podcast. Bada bing. Um, who else? Who, who else do we have on there? Maybe I'll just like tag team your your cold snacks. How about that? All right, re-roll the music. <laughs> Next cold snack. 
next gold stack take back we have is for none other than Mr. Stone Cold Chris Jones, which makes us a Stone Cold Cold Snack take back. Yes, the money worked. We, Brett Veach was right. We needed to pay that guy his money, man. Thank God we did. I mean, talk about for a guy who's never had a postseason sack, for a guy who arguably could have put last year's game away had he sacked Joe Burrow instead of having him just, you know, squeak out of his grasp, to get a sack in the first half, be a wrecking ball all game, and then also put the closeout sack on Joe Burrow on that yeah. third down, it was... It was an otherworldly effort by Chris Jones, who, I mean, I've always thought he was a good player. I've always thought, yeah, he's one of the better defensive tackles in the league. But, I mean, last night was the first time we're like, oh, this could be a potential ring of honor guy now. Which which makes me want to ask you, Armando, did Chris Jones cement a spot in the Chiefs ring of honor with that performance last night? Absolutely. I mean, this, is, this maybe isn't the most important Chiefs game in recent history but it's up there I mean this is one of the most important games that we've ever played um, one of the rare occasions where we were an underdog for a lot of the week and then we kind of came back but this is one of those games where both you and I thought that we w- we were not going to win I mean I was like a little more optimistic than you but I was trying to be optimistic I mean this is a game we should not have won like the Bengals were better and they've always had our number and Chris Jones stepped up when he needed to and that's what makes a ring of honor player right like like these defining moments in their careers. We know Chris Jones is already one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL, but he never had those defining moments when it mattered. And this game we finally did in a game against all odds Chris Jones is out there. I knew from the beginning of the game, Reese, before the game, during the national anthem, Chris Jones is bawling. Like they're like panning, they're panning over everyone, everyone's kind of looking around. Chris Jones is crying, dude. He knew the magnitude of this game Reese and knew what he needed to do and after I saw him cry that that's when I turned to Logan and I said you know what that dude's gonna have a big game today and we saw it from I forget when it was in the first quarter when there was like those three sacks in a row and one of them was Chris Jones Chris Jones didn't even tackle him Chris Jones just like held him and he was like I own you he didn't yeah. even like try to pancake. He he just had him in his hands and he was like, it's over, dude. It's over. This is our game. We were meant to win this game. And Chris Jones was an absolute factor. I mean, hats off to him. I think he would have been in the ring of honor anyway because he truly is the best defensive tackle in the NFL right now, undisputedly, having one of the best seasons of his career. Um, but and, and has had others during this uh, during his time as a chief, right, that have been standouts. But this cements it, Reese. An incredible performance, Chris Jones. You know, such sacks is the fact that, you know, he's really improved his tackling and finishing the job, which has been a, you know, people have questioned his effort in the past. You know, if if a cornerback kind of squeaks out, he kind of seems to quit on the play. Yeah. Uh, In 2021, he had 12.9% of his tackles missed. And in 2022, he dropped that number to 2.9% of tackles missed. I mean, that is an elite drop right there in something you don't want to have high. So... I, I think honestly that it's it's not a hyperbole to say that's probably the singular best defensive performance by a Kansas City Chiefs player since Eric Berry. Wow. Maybe that I think uh the game that comes to mind for me is I believe it was the Atlanta Falcons in twenty it maybe in twenty sixteen, I think it was the first year he came back after leukemia, and it was that game where he had like 
the the pick six on the two point conversion that ultimately like swung the final score of the yeah. game, mm-hmm. as well as I think he had like another interception or pick six in that game. But I mean, that was the Chiefs used to have a very proud history, of, like defensive just stalwarts: Tom Bali, Derek Johnson, Eric Berry. The list goes on. And I feel like we've been kind of waiting for that guy to step up on the defense since that point. You know, we kind of, we kind of, you know, looked and kind of tilted our heads and were like, "Oh, is Tyron Matthew that guy? Is he the guy?" Nah, Tyron Matthew was gave us some moments, but this was the first time we had a one man game changer on the defense yeah. since Eric Berry. And if if he can if he can keep it up, Reese, I mean, he will absolutely not only for our ring of honor, but just in like NFL lore, if he can bring it against that Eagles offensive line, like he he is he is cemented because that may be one of the best offensive lines in NFL history, which we can talk about later. Uh, but they they're just playing incredibly well. Um, so if, if he can, man, if we can bring that, it'd be excellent. Um, Cold snack take back is Frank Clark in there? Or- at all uh i mean we kind of already knew that playoff frank was you know back in form this year then so why, not, not, why don't we I just keep on talking about that defensive line then reese frank clark uh frank one, clark. one and a half sacks fire away he was huge i mean frank clark was everywhere he was really chasing down burrow you know there there's a uh, footage of I mean, we can get on this later, but as much as the Bengals are crying about holding, you know, there's that uh, image of Frank Clark being held in a double underhook full Nelson from the back. You know, it's like they had to do anything they could because Frank was getting jumps off the ball. He was, you know, he looked light in his feet. You can tell he cut the alcohol and red meat out of his diet. Yeah. Uh, also got to give a heads up to rookie George Karloftis getting a sack in the playoffs, you know, in, in the big times. Totally. And I think at this point it's safe to say that we've gotten everything out of George Karloftis in his rookie year that we thought and hoped we could get out of George Karloftis in his rookie year. You know, we knew he wasn't like the same kind of, I don't know, vicious insta attack pit bull as, you know, a Joey Bosa or a Nick Bosa or one of the Watts or who's that dude, Aiden Hutchinson. He's not that dude, but he's got a motor. He is, he's a, why aren't we comparing him to Jared Allen more? Is my question. Not necessarily in one-to-one body types, but in the same kind of thing. Like, Jared Allen wasn't as physically gifted. Karloffs is a little skinnier. Yeah, a little skinnier. You know, but I think he was the same kind of just, like, meat and potatoes, lunch pail. I'm not going to quit on the play until, you know, it's over. And I'm not going to get into Jared Allen. Now's not the time. Uh, But anyway, hats (laughs) off to our defensive line, which I have to say leads me to my third and final cold snack take back. Potentially. Spags? um, Spags, do we do we give him a cold snack take back? Wow! And I, the the reason I ask this is because after I, the I, Bengals, you, you're the last person I would ever think to give a cold tax cold snack take back to Spags. Well, this is why this is why I need your help figuring this one out. And I say this because after the Bengals, so the Bengals converted. I counted four different third or fourth and longs hmm. in this game which I is mean, our it seemed, mo it, it seemed every time that i'm like okay this is third and 18 i know they're going to convert this like so someone's going to be wide open on third and 18 i don't know why they are uh so that happened and it was incredibly frustrating i think even late in the fourth quarter something like five minutes to go there was that fourth and 16 or fourth and 17 and like hall of famer hayden hurst was 
wide open. <laughs> and I, I texted the group chat at this point saying, like, I, I wonder if Spags gets fired after this game if they don't pull this out. Yeah, I remember out. that, yeah. Because, because Spags was just getting torched on all these third and fourth down calls. And, and it's been the whole thing of the Spags tenure. You know, it, it feels like we're back in the Bob Sutton era where it's like, great, first down, stuff the handoff, second down, sack, third down. Wow, how was that guy so wide open? So... I don't know, Armando. Can you make a case for Spags in the cold snack tape? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, so here's here's my reasoning with Spags. So the first couple games that we played against the Bengals, he was playing man, right? Wasn't playing zone. He was letting those guys go on an island, and it didn't work, right? It didn't work with Rashad Fenn. It didn't work with Traverius Ward. Um, and I think he knew it, it would not work with a young Jalen Watson, a young Joshua Williams, a young Legereus Need, a young Trent McDuffie, which is why uh, for that f- for this regular season game of the 2023 season, uh, he did a soft zone. And then they torched us on a soft zone, right? Like we, we talked about that and we've shown Joe Burrow's um, passing sheet, right? He, th- he threw, I forget how many, I want to say 10 passes that were five. Five yards and less and he threw zero passes that were over like 17 yards down the field so that obviously he, he could not do and one thing that I can credit Spags for is that Spags does adjust and Spags will die on his hill whatever he decides the game plan is going to be he'll die on it and this time it worked, Reese. It worked that he was playing press man. He was, and of course, he got torched a couple times. But those times that we got torched, it was like it was a very good catch by by Jamar Chase in double coverage yeah. that uh, Brian Cook didn't turn back to. And it, of mm. course, that that T Higgins catch was unguardable. I'm I'm sorry, like there was no way that anybody was going to get that catch. T Higgins, like incredible catch, incredible throw by Burrow. So. It worked like Spags. It worked where he he had his disguise blitzes and he was coming after Joe Burrow and that worked. And but also he's playing press man and then uh, we can transition into a smaller cold snack take back. It worked for Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson making that incredible interception. I mean, like those things we could not see coming and that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Spags like Spags scheme. Um, so is it that we were upset with Spags the whole time because of what he was doing? Or did Spags knew this whole time that these guys just needed some time? They needed the experience, and now they can play press man. Now we can play man, and we possibly can do this same defense against an A.J. Brown and against a Devontae Smith in the Super Bowl. Look, See, I, I'm, I, and, and I'm also prefacing this as like, like this could have easily gone the other way. Like like if like 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 if Jalen Watson gets burned and and like you know Jamar Chase scores like on a seventy yard touchdown, then you and I are saying fire this guy. But it worked this time, Reese. I'm I'm not gonna say he's a genius, but this time it worked. That's what makes this so hard. Is that it almost feels like the equivalence of oh my gosh, we could have died. It's like yeah. But we didn't. Right. And I'm like, okay, did we not die because you were in control of the situation and we just had to, like, trust in you? Or was this a situation of, like, you got lucky and we didn't die? Because we've, I mean, our our qualms with Spags have been noted over his tenure. Uh, But, I mean, so on one hand, I have to give him hats off because he never gets beat by the same team the same way twice. Fair. And we can take a look at it last year. When the Bills, I mean, creamed us in the regular season, 
And then in the playoffs, suddenly we shut the Bills down for three and a half quarters. And it's just like, how? Why? What did you do? Why is this different? And I mean, it's the same way with Cincinnati. You know, Cincinnati was eating us for breakfast in that first game this year because they kept hitting that soft zone we were playing. Right. It's like tearing it up. So Spag's like, all right, we're not going to play soft zone. Guess what? Now I'm finally going to cover, like double cover Chase. I'm going to double cover Higgins when I can. Yeah, both I'm both those gonna- catches were double covered. They're just really good catches. His blitzes were much better disguised. The number of times he had linebackers running up to the line showing blitz only to like pop back pop and back, like yep. a spy or a robber role was incredible. And you could tell Joe Burrow had a hard time reading that. Mm-hmm. And we, we've said it to begin with like Spag's defensive strategy kind of like lives and dies with the front four being able to get pressure by themselves. That's when it's, it's optimal. And to that fact, I have to say like this might be the single greatest Steve Spagnolo game slash game plan since he was with the Giants and they beat Tom Brady in 07 to like stop that perfect season. Yeah, I, I agree. can't think of a I better agree. Spags game since then. Yeah, I, this it's I'm cautiously optimistic, Reese, because in order for a Spags defense to be successful, you need playmakers in that secondary. And uh, three weeks ago, I would have said Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams are not playmakers. These guys are just guys that are stop gaps. We're just trying to figure this out. But both these guys, Jalen Watson in particular, are making plays not only this week, but last week as well against against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm saying, did they know this whole time that these dudes, we which we could not see, you and I were like, hell no, not these, get these guys out of here. Let's let's bring Traverius Ward back. Pay that guy. But did they know this whole time that these dudes are playmakers and they're making plays that other rookies on other teams can't make, right? What other what other secondaries in the NFL can you say had four rookies like star in and and win a suit and not sorry, not win a Super Bowl, but advance to the Super Bowl. I mean, like we are looking like fools right now because of what this looks like. Of course, we need to see some more weeks and more consistency from Watson and Williams to say these guys are playmakers. But right now, I want to look foolish right now. I want to be wrong and say, can the are these guys going to step up as well in the Super Bowl? I think they can. I think Spags knew this whole time. I mean, it's crazy, and I know they finally kind of drafted guys that Spags wanted to draft. You know, we finally got some length in that secondary, which we really haven't had for the longest time. But I think it really speaks volumes that, you know, like you said, no, there was no other team that had four dudes in their secondary. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs were the first team to record two interceptions with rookies in a conference title game since it's like 1992 or something wow, like that. I didn't know that. It's it's incredible. I mean, let's just let's just go down this draft class really quick and just I, literally everyone minus like one player made a significant impact on this game. Brett Veach, Trent give McDu- him his flowers, baby. Give him his go 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 down that list, baby. Trent McDuffie speaks for himself. George Karlaftis speaks for himself. Receiver Sky Moore speaks for himself. Brian Cook got torched a couple times, including that yeah. double coverage on Jamar Chase that you mentioned, where he didn't turn his head around, but did Had wind up with that huge game changing tip drill. Leo Chanel took significant snaps in this game. Joshua Williams, huge part of the secondary. Darian Kennard, he was active on the roster as a backup. Didn't see any snaps, though. Jalen Watson, big part of the secondary. Seventh round, Isaiah Pacheco, who started too late but should get consideration for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And Marshall Safety, Nazi Johnson. 
also, I believe, recorded a few snaps <laughs> in this game. It was not impactful, but he recorded but some still, snaps. But still, two players that like were not impactful out of the entire draft class in an AFC championship game, like uh, unheard of, Reese. And it's also undebatable, undebatable that we are going to be better defensively next year. It's undebatable that this defense is going to be better. N- and not even if we bring anybody, but these guys with experience with a Super Bowl game, not a Super Bowl win, I'm not going to jinx anything, but with a Super Bowl game, under this this defense is already going to be better next year. Brett Veach, Spags got it right, and I, I can't believe it. I'm, I, I'm in shock today, Reese. I'm in shock. I'm excited because one knock on Brett Veach has always been, well, you know, John Dorsey had a, a nose for sniffing out diamonds in the rough. You know, he brought in Kareem Hunt. He brought in all these right. guys. Yeah, okay, it's true. I, I guess I could say that Brett Veach hasn't brought in, like, star studs to the clip of John Dorsey, but he's doing a better job of fielding a team. Yeah, they're, they're making I mean, plays. Part of, yeah, part of the problem with all those star studs we found was, like, we kept him for too long, and it was like we, were, we had a bunch of star studs and a bunch of, like, bum scrubs around him. Right. But this is a very balanced team, that I mean, we, we always said like you're really only as strong as your weakest link, and like I, I thought about this multiple times, maybe almost throw up. It's like, oh my gosh, it's like could you imagine if we still had Ben Neiman and Dan Sorensen? We're forced to give them snaps. Dude, game? imagine imagine Ben Neiman and Sorensen double covering uh, Chase. Oh, dude, it's, it's no chance to tear all four of their ACLs trying to do that. But you know, it's it's kind of funny, like. We, we got Brian Cook to supplant Sorensen's role, and to a degree, it's like he's kind of done that to an eerie point, just because, I mean, he's he's been kind of hit or miss this yeah. year, never to the degree of Sorensen, like, insta-touchdown. But, you know, Cook got beat a few times, but then, like, when it came down to brass tacks, he had, like, this one OMG, how the heck did yep. you do that turnaround He's physical, play. man. He's physical. Sw- swung the game. So, I- I'm looking forward to this defense Woo! going forward. I-, I have some hope for him. Uh, we'll see if they can keep it up against the Eagles next All week. Right. Two weeks. Well, Reese and I are going a little bit over, so what we're going to do now is we're going to go into the beer review, and then when we come back from the beer review, we're going to talk about Reese's favorite thing. Reese used to be called referees, so we're going to address the the refereeing in this game because not only are the Bengals fans talking about this, Reese, but National Media is talking about it. People in our chat are talking about it, so we're going to lay those debates to rest after this beer review. Stay with us. Again, if, if you are new to this podcast, we're going to take a little break but stay with us because reese is going to review a delicious beer and reese used to be in the craft beer industry so he knows what good beer is supposed to be like so stay tuned and listen to that beer review we'll see you soon take a break from sports and we're going to talk about some beer. Reese is going to review a beer and he is going to rate it with different categories. Uh, the first category is going to be appearance followed by flavor or no, I'm sorry, appearance, then smell, then flavor, then mouthfeel, then aftertaste, then a uh, ever-changing category called Stong's Drinkability Quotient. And it's just the entirety of this beer. You know, you can talk about the brewery, you can talk about the can art, you can talk about how this beer makes you feel where it's from. Um, so many great things about this beer. We rate it 1 through 10. Reese, what will you be drinking for us today? I mean, in our last segment, we talked about maybe finally squashing the beef with Steve Spagnolo. you know, like at the end of Rocky Four, if I could change, you could maybe we could all change or whatever that quote. I feel so bad I can't remember that quote. <laughs> I don't remember it. Sorry. But the important thing is the fact that you know we've had an ongoing feud in this podcast, both you and I, with a specific brewery, and I think it's time to squash the beef. 
which before I get into what beer I'm reviewing, Spotted it's time for cow. It's time for me to segue the fact that if you like turf and you like war, you have to tune in this Monday evening, February 6th, to our third annual Super Bowl Supercast. It's a live stream featuring all the Fountain Fantasy favorites, including Sam Esquire Jr., Armando, a guest appearance from Buffalo Mike, and many, many more coming on this podcast. So tune in. We will post more information on Instagram at Fountain City SM about the date, time, and how to watch. But Monday, February 6th, our annual Budding of Heads Super Bowl Supercast. And as a preview for Super Bowl Supercast Turf War, I would like to introduce you to the rubber match in the new Glarus trilogy, ladies and gentlemen. Today I have new Glarus Bubbler, which is a Hefeweizen. And for those of you that don't understand the rivalry, please go back to our previous episodes uh, where we talk about our um, fandom. Actually, now fandom with New Glarus, but you can you can hear about the rivalry. All right, Reese. So go ahead and crack this guy open. Um, put it in a glass. And let us know how it uh, how it looks. The old Hefeweizen. So, Haven't done a half in a while, huh? You know, Hefeweizens do generally have kind of big pillowy heads, and that's one thing this guy this guy's got on it, man. He's got a dome you can see from the Hubble telescope. It's uh, <laughs> actually fairly uniform in the glass, very rolling and pillowy up top. Uh, actually, a little bit hazier than some hefs I've drank, but the color is spot on. It's a nice goldenrod dark straw. Can't really see a whole bunch going on the other side of the glass, but guess what? You don't really need to. Uh, on appearance, I'm going to give this uh, 8.3. All right. 8.3, beautiful pillowy head. Let's see. What does it smell like, Reese? So, you know, half of Ison's little banana, maybe, but anything different on this guy? So, banana bread's one of the big things you're going to smell in a half of Ison. Uh, you know, a, a half is a German wheat beer versus a wit, which is a Belgian wheat beer. Uh, the German wheat beers have a whole bunch of that banana and a little bit of bubblegum to it sometimes. I'm definitely getting banana on this, like fresh banana, milky banana, and a bunch of other cool things. <laughs> should we, should we just upload that song to our Patreon as well? Yes. For those of you that, um, don't know what we're talking about, the, one of the first beer reviews that I did. I uh, reviewed a half of Bison and I said banana about, I don't know, 40, 50 times. And then Reese made a song about it. Check it out. If you dare, patreon.com, FCSM. Uh, so bananas <laughs> on the nose of this one. I get some coriander in this as well. Maybe like, a bleh. I think, yeah, coriander and clove are also on there. So it's, it's ticking all the boxes for a half of Bison. It's kind of a subtle smell. Uh, let's rock and roll with another 8.4. All right, 8.4. Reese, let's do flavor now, our favorite category. Take a sip and let us know if what you smelled is similar or the same as what you're about to taste. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's a good Hefeweizen. The banana flavor is very prominent. And it's a very fresh flavor to it as well. I remember it was so funny. Like the number of times I want to say banana when describing this half of Eisen is like hilarious. <laughs> I'm like having to stop myself. That's why I said it, man. That's why I was like, mm, milky banana. Maybe we maybe we need a sequel song. 
just like a, like a slam po- poetry or something like that. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely am one to be very redundant, but like it was for good reason. Yeah, no. Get a little bit of yeast action there as well, which is fine. Don't pick up a whole bunch of malt, surprisingly. No. Uh, but. I mean, she tastes like a Hefeweizen. A little more bitter than some Hefs I've had. So I'm, I'm going to dock it a few points for that. But again, let's keep it 8.4. We're just going to keep it right there. I, I think it's it's rolling hey, right around there. S- solid eights. That's great. Reese, how about the mouthfeel on that? Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it in between? Anything different than that? You know, it's actually a little lighter in the mouth and a little more sparkling than some Ooh. Hefeweizens I've had in the past. Uh, you know, Gordon Biersch is actually the first Hef I ever had back when I was, I think, 22. Nice. So I have to give them credit for getting me into this style. I think I like my Hefs to have a, I mean, just a notch heavier mouthfeel to them. This one feels very light. And, and just like with the, with the richness of the banana flavor in there, you know, I, I kind of want something to be equally rich to it. I don't want like a light, uh, crispy banana. I want more of a smooth banana. So this is I, I feel like you're you're purposefully doing that to set yourself up for another song. I plead the fifth. I plead the, I plead the fifth percent of beer. Uh, so anyway. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's a good mouthfeel. I know this should be a lighter style beer. I'm just complaining on personal preference, so I'm not going to dock it and be that. I'm not going to be that person in the opera industry who's like, this is a good voice, you know, but like, I think, I think my Rosalka should be a lighter voice. You know, I don't like these dark, you know, Eastern European sounding Rosalka. It's like, no, get out of here, you putz. So in this case, I am the putz. I'm going to give mouthfeel on this uh, 8-7. This is what a half mouthfeel should be. That's funny. Uh, I'm going to segue out of your beer review really quickly. You brought up Gordon Biersch. The only knock I have on on Louisville right now is that it feels very like early 2000s here (laughs) where they only have like the cool staples that were cool in 2000. So like I walk down the street and it's it's like Chipotle, Smashburger, Gordon Biersch. And Starbucks, and that's the like center of town with David Buster's on the side and exactly Spencer's <laughs> gifts hanging out. Be like, hey man, which again, I like all those places, but it's like, yeah, anyway, no, I agree. It's I, I what, feel else you. We, it's like, what else do we have? Uh, mouthfeel aftertaste, Reese, take another sip, and uh, do you get a milky banana on the aftertaste, or is it smooth banana? Oh, dude, this is, you make it sound like a Calypso now. The next one's going to be like a total Calypso remix. <laughs> like Soldier Boy or something. <laughs> that gives me just enough time to talk some more. Uh, circus peanuts are another note you're going to get in a lot of these Hefeweizens. And I do get circus peanuts on the back. I don't think I've ever had a circus peanut. It oh, just dude, looks gross. Dude, you're missing out. I used to eat circus you peanuts. You like circus peanuts? When I was a kid, I don't know why. They were my favorite candy for a long time in my early childhood. I mean, I hear bananas a feature on it, but they just look gross. You should give it a shot because the best thing about circus peanuts is like you can find them at Walgreens anymore. Oh yeah, Walgreens, the gas station. They're always like the generic, like you know, there's the generic gummy worms that come with like the cardboard top and like the clear plastic bag. 
The circus mm-hmm. penis are always in that category with those branded gummy worms. They're everywhere. You can get it for like a buck fifty. So have one. You'll know if you like them or not. Throw away the rest if you care. I don't care. Uh, so this hits those notes. Yeah, I like this a lot. I think aftertaste might be the best part of this beer. Actually, that's that's gonna be a nine for the half aftertaste. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right, solid nine, and that that's high remarks for Reese. And Reese, then we have our ever changing category. That's the Stonks drinkability quotient. How does this beer make you feel? How awesome is it? Stonks up, stonks down. This was not to the level of the Hellas that wowed me and blew me away that I had a few weeks ago. I'm just gonna mm-hmm. say that. But I'm really into lagers, and I think Hefeweizens are good, but they're not my all time favorite style. However. New Glarus has gone and done a very simple, common, fun style of beer to a very good degree that I think if someone wants an example of a good Hefeweizen being made over in this country, I would say I would point to this New Glarus Hefeweizen Bubbler. Hey, I just realized it's called Bubbler and had a very sparkly mouthfeel. Go figure. Hey, That's crispy us. boy. Ah, my one-armed man. Uh, so I'm going to say, after the disappointment of Spotted Cow being taken to new heights with that collaboration, Hellas, and now to a very prime example of a Hefeweizen, I think I can say this spotted cow's beef is squashed. I am interested in New Glarus. I'm making a trip up to Wisconsin, hopefully to see my sister at some point, and I will come back with a large variety of New Glarus. Maybe I'll even try and stop at the brewery and try a bunch of things there, but I want to know more. I want to try more. I want to, you know, Dad, I know we didn't always have the best relationship, but, you know, it's time. I'm an adult now. You're older. I think we should bridge the gap and try and make the steps of making this relationship work. You know, son, I really would like that. That's me and New Glarus. <laughs> that was ridiculous. And I love that because Reese is ridiculous in the best possible way. Excellent. So they are rekindling their relationship. And Reese and I are going to rekindle our relationship with the refs as we talk about them next. So stay tuned because boy, do we still have some hot takes. relationship with New Glarus, um, having a great time with those beer reviews. And now we're going to end the podcast with some hot takes. That's right. We love hot takes on this podcast, why I'm called Hot Take Mondo, but I'm actually going to give Reese the floor on this one. So after this game and during the game, there was a lot of contention and the contention revolved around the refs and some of some blown plays, as people say, but also just some like crazy things that happened. Right. We had in the fourth quarter, I believe it was the fourth quarter where the, where the refs were trying to blow a play during the third and nine play that Patrick Mahomes had. Um, and then he just went ahead and did it and they redid that play. And then there was another uh, there was another penalty on that play. So like Patrick Mahomes had three third downs on that, on that play, which he then converted. Uh, but I'll just actually preface this. It didn't matter. It didn't matter because then we just punted the ball anyway. And I know, I know that was the biggest thing of contention. And I'll say if I was the other team, I'd be pissed as hell too. I mean, Zach Taylor was livid. And I, when I was watching it, I was like, man, I guess I'd be livid too, if that happened, but it didn't matter. 
That didn't matter. And there was other things that happened too, but I'm going to let Reese have the floor on this one. Reese, what do you have to say about people that say the Chiefs won that game solely because the refs gave them that game? What is your response? I think uh, this will speak for itself for me. Uh-oh. 15. Can you just describe the moment of seeing that ball go through the upright there? It was a great feeling. We got a little lucky at the end. We got some calls. <laughs> got some calls uh, but sometimes you gotta get a little lucky we had a great drive didn't finish it off the way we wanted to but got some calls Evan you know he he did a great job for us kicking today you know he battled, battled through some stuff uh, excited about Joe Burrow 2021 your Cincinnati quarterback Joe Burrow straight up saying in a game last year and laughing about the fact that we won this game because we got some calls. He said it at least four times, so he feels guilty. You hear it multiple times. He knows. So why is it okay when the Cincinnati Bengals admittedly say, we won this game because we got a bunch of calls, and then when the shoe's on the other foot, and there's a game where you could argue and be wrong that the Kansas City Chiefs benefited from some calls, suddenly it's not okay? Might I point something out to you here? Uh, an extra fun bit. The official crew that called that game where Burrow said we got some calls. Exact same official crew that we had in oh, this AFC Championship game. Really? This Take that, jabronis. This exact same official crew that everyone said, oh my gosh, you know, the, the, the NFL script and it was, it was baited for the Chiefs, you know, and that they wanted the Chiefs to win in their bias. Okay. Let's go back to this exact same official crew in that game I just mentioned back in 2022. Kansas City Chiefs, penalties and yards, 10 for 83, including three that extended the final drive and gave them first downs. Cincinnati Bengals, five for 62. Wow. Does this sound like an officiating crew that has an agenda that's out to get the Cincinnati Bengals? I think for me it's the fact that I will admit my old moniker on the show was Raging Referees. I would call things out, you know, I'd say, oh, you got to fix this, you got to change this, right, right, right. But I would always say with the addendum of, if you play well enough, officiating should not matter. Therefore, we will hold the L on this one. It sucks. I think the most dangerous precedent coming out of this game is the fact that, as you alluded to earlier in the show, for the first time ever, national media is getting on this. Even people at Good Morning Football, which are some of, I think, the most respected yeah, NFL good. analysts out there, were like, yeah, you know, Cincinnati, a lot of these calls didn't go your way. I, I, I can understand if you're mad. You know, you might have a reason to be mad, actually, about the officiating, you know, favoring the Chiefs. And I'm like, no, the officiating did not favor the Chiefs. Armando, I want to walk through the big things people keep pointing to. And we can have a back and forth conversation on this. Let's do it. So Joseph Asai, pushing Patrick Mahomes out of bounds. 15-yard penalty. Is there anything wrong with that? Nope. And in fact, Patrick Mahomes addressed it today. He said that um, that was actually the farthest tackle that he's ever had in his career when it comes to those outside tackles. Um, so, like, clearly he was like, yeah, I was clearly out of bounds. In fact, no other player has ever tackled me that far out of bounds before ever, ever before, is what Pat, Pat said. 
It's clear. Just watch the video again and and even watch it in real time because people say, oh, and no, watch in real time. Like he is clearly two feet out of bounds. Like well, both his feet are clearly out of bounds. Well, back on the dangerous press, and I can't remember who said this. They played this on 610 Sports Radio. It was a an, another NFL analyst, I think on ESPN, who said like, you know, you, you can't flag him for that. For a guy who hit Mahomes, who was, okay, maybe 15% out of bounds. No, darling, no. You can go back and 100%. look. He's 100% out of bounds. He's almost more on the, the far end of the white stripe than he is the field side. Asai hit him from behind with a full arm extension. That's going to get called 100 times out of 100. May I also add, Reese, that would would Asai be so upset crying-wise if he did not know that he screwed up? Right. No. If he was upset, he would have been yelling. He would have been screaming. Asai knew he screwed up. He was he was bawling after that game and took full responsibility for it. If you knew that it was a blown call, you wouldn't be crying because you were embarrassed. You'd be crying because you'd be livid, right? You'd be like, but like Asai knew he sat down and like took it all in. It was sad. I was actually sad to see him do that. But like even he knew he screwed up big time. No, absolutely. And that's not to take away from the game that Asai had. He was probably the Bengals' best defensive player all game until that final boneheaded penalty. And I see people calling now being like, oh, you know, they should, that really should, you know, they should look into changing that rule for it to be a five-yard penalty and to be all these things. And, you know, that, that that penalty extended him and gave him the first down. That's another national media lie. Mahomes had scrambled for the first down. That penalty gave him 15 yards to make it essentially a glorified, not chip shot, you know, but a very manageable field goal as opposed to a long field goal. It's like, where do all these lies keep coming from? And, you know, everyone keeps saying, oh, that's a Mahomes call. Mahomes gets that call all the time. Okay. For anyone curious in the fact here, entering the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes only had two roughing the passer calls called for him all season long. That's fewer than Russell Wilson, Tua Tungavailoa, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. The list goes on for there. Patrick Mahomes does not get babied. And on this show, we will say multiple times, there are times that he's been like sling blade tackled. He's been chopped late. He's been hit low. But he doesn't seem to get the benefit of roughing the passer calls that other people get. I'm not going to cry conspiracy on this, but... It's pretty notable, and I have numbers to back it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you, and can you address any of the other things people are talking about? So they're talking about, and kind of I talked about it too, is is Patrick Mahomes had those three third downs to convert. I mean, again, what I talked about is it didn't matter. Didn't matter because it didn't. Not, nothing happened after that. Well, well not, not to correct you, I, I think it was only two third downs. I think there was the third and nine. They ran that short play to Kelsey. They redid the down. And after that, there was the defensive holding, which, again, I'm sorry, they showed a replay, was defensive holding by Eli Apple. Yeah, because, well, and I also think T. Higgins, like, after the game, he he wrote on Twitter, he was like, three third and nines, are you kidding me? Well, I mean, are, is, is that the truth? Or are we just being gaslit, gaslit by more people about, you know, stats and things that went on in games that didn't actually go on in games, <laughs> like being 15% out of bounds? It makes the allure better. I don't know. Anyway, no, I I, I don't we, doubt we, it. We can reconfirm. It, you know, I, I'm going to take your word for it. It was probably three. But here's the thing. There was nothing wrong with how that played out. The official, again, we have video evidence, came on the field, blew his whistle, yeah. and he was not heard. 
That is no different than what happened earlier in this game when the Bengals ran a play and had it called back because there was a false start that, again, they could not hear the official on the field blowing his whistle for. Now, why is that? Probably because the fact that Arrowhead was absolutely unhinged and loud to the point that Joe Burrow and company were shook. Which kind of, again, if we're going to quote the great Joe Burrow here, saying, it gets way louder in the SEC than any of these NFL stadiums when talking about Arrowhead before last year's AFC title game. Okay, Joe, what's the number of SEC stadiums you've been in where officials could not be heard blowing their whistle? None? Zero? Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, we saw it. There was nothing wrong with how that play went. Had the Kansas City Chiefs scored a touchdown on that play, the officials still would have called it back. Would the Bengals fans be complaining about it then? Or would they be saying, oh, well, good call, good call. That, that is the actual ruling that should happen. I think they're just confused due to the fact that in the wild card game against the Raiders last year, they scored a touchdown at the end of the first half that wound up being the deciding factor in that game because there was an inadvertent referee whistle that blew. The Raiders players stopped playing, so Joe Burrow got a free touchdown pass to somebody. By rule, that down should have been redone because there was an official who ran on the field and ended the play. But guess what? They didn't call it correctly. And for one more layer of craziness on there, the official in that, Carl Sheffers. Oh. So, I'm just saying, you can't be mad at that late hit out of bounds. That was a late hit out of bounds. Cry about it. You can't be mad that an official was blowing the play dead, that if the Chiefs had scored a touchdown and it would have gotten called back, you guys would have been on your hands and knees saying, oh, brilliant officiating, brilliant officiating. All that leaves you are a bunch of plays where Bengals fans are pointing to, whoa, whoa, you know, the, the Chiefs were holding. Okay, okay, let's have her just one more time. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, all-pro offensive lineman, many times over, went on the radio and said, no. He's debunked all of those. Those are classic rip moves. Those are classic mm-hmm. legal instances where you can be held a little bit differently or blocked a little bit differently. Are you going to tell me, city of Cincinnati, that you know more than Jeff Schwartz? Is that what you're going to tell me? I can also point to there is a counter Chiefs thread going on right now of multiple still images of Chiefs players being held, which is true. Both the Bengals players and the Chiefs players are being held. I'm sure there's rip moves. I'm sure there's swim moves. I'm sure there's other legalities on there. However, there is one image that sticks out, as I mentioned, of Frank Clark being held in the double underhook full Nelson from behind. And I don't think anybody's going to tell you that's holding. I think it's I'm flabbergasted that Cincinnati is crying wolf and blaming the officiating as the deciding factor as to why they lost this game. Not that Joe Burrow was sacked five times. Not the fact that Joe Burrow threw two interceptions. Not the fact that you couldn't manage to outscore a one-legged quarterback throwing to a bunch of special teamers as his receiving core. You lost. Get over it. Get out of here, jabronis. Reese, that was a great soliloquy. And why don't we end the podcast with some more Cincinnati tears? Reese, there's rumors that Joe Burrow will be asking for an extension this year. Couple that with all the free agencies that they're going to have next year, including Jesse Bates, Von Bell, 
Eli Apple, who looks like I don't know if he's going to get to any team. Your boy, Hall of Famer Hayden Hurst, Trey Flowers, Samaji P. Ryan, and also worth noting, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, Joe Mixon may be facing criminal charges. So that Samaji P. Ryan re-signing could be actually a real big deal. I just named a bunch of starters on their defense, not to mention or to mention as well. They have those uh, three people on their offensive line that were out that we don't know what their injuries are going to look like. Reese, is the Bengals window closed? No, I don't think the Bengals window is closed. I think the Buffalo Bills have to be a lot more concerned about their Super Bowl window. I think the Bengals still have a few more years that they can play around with here because they I don't think Joe Burrow is necessarily going to get a new deal right away. He's on what? This was year three. Yeah, I can realistically see him playing through year four. They pick up his fifth year extension, use that time to talk about a contract extension, and they'll have a better idea of who they're going to keep, who they're not going to keep. Uh, it's also the fact that T. Higgins, I believe this is what his fourth year. Yeah. So he will have one more. Well, no, he won't have one more year. They have to decide about T. Higgins. But, you know, I think it's going to be Joe Mixon was a weapon, no doubt. I mean, absolutely a weapon. He, he was not as integral of a weapon as the big three wide receivers that Joe Burrow has to throw to. I think Fair. when the time comes that Joe Burrow, Higgins, Boyd, and Chase's contracts are all kind of within a year and coming to ahead of each other, that's when they're going to have to start making some decisions. However, I think they have one to two more years where they can finagle some contract deals, franchise tags and players maybe, and keep this core together on offense, which ultimately that's what makes this team as dangerous as they yeah. are. Yeah, the, the Bengals are the polar opposite to the Kansas City Chiefs. Joe Burrow needs Higgins, Chase, and Boyd, where Patrick Mahomes can have the UPS guy as his wide receiver, which we saw, right? like. This is very different than a, than a Chiefs offense and how it's built. Where again, I don't want to. You know, we're already at the end of the podcast, but you and I can spend another two hours talking about how Joe Burrow is not, you know, the elites of Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and I've always died on this hill. Even even Justin Herbert. Um, but this team, more so than any other team, needs this core unit of of guys. Because if one guy leaves, even a Tyler Boyd or a Hayden Hurst this year that might leave, that changes a lot for Joe Burrow. Um, so we'll see what happens to the Bengals. But this, personally, I think this was their best time to win. They should have won. Well, if they if they were going to win, they had to have won this year, I think. So next year is going to be very tough because, again, I, I already said and there I don't think there's any debate. This defense for the Kansas City Chiefs is going to be even better next year. You know, I think the Cincinnati Bengals team does have a lot of things going for it. But as you mentioned, this isn't just a loss. This is a very serious psychological loss for them. Uh, you know, this wasn't just a team where it's like, man, we're exceeding expectations, but like next year's the year. It's like, mm, no, no, this was this the year was you the were year. coming in. So they're going to have to regroup because like you said, the Kansas City Chiefs who are already younger than them are only going to be one year older and more veteran savvy than they are right now. You know, and we've talked about it already with the Joe Mixon arrest charges. I mean, that's going to rattle through the team. I can't remember who was yelling at Osai after the game, but there was one of the Bengals players in the locker room who was yelling at him. I think one thing that's not being talked about enough is that Joe Burrow's best quality is this, you know, what do they call him? Like 
Ch- Joe Shiesty or like Chili Joe or something like that, you know? Sure. Joe Cool. They call him Joe Cool. But here's the thing. For the first time, and the commentators brought this up multiple times, and we saw camera footage of it, Joe Burrow was on the sidelines looking pretty animated, which is not like Joe Burrow. When you hear all these press conferences, they say Joe has this air of calmness about him, this killer instinct like a tiger, and that's what makes him so so dangerous. In this game, we saw Joe Burrow do many uncharacteristic things, including throwing those two interceptions. And what happened in this instance when a Joe Cool lost his cool? He's just another Joe. Wow. Yeah. I got nothing to say about that. What happens when Patrick Mahomes throws throws an interception? Short memory comes back. Touchdown. I mean, just two completely different quarterbacks. I'm sure we'll have time in the offseason to really break down both those things. But you bring up really good points, Reese. Excellent. All right. I think that I think that's going to cap the episode, Reese. We had such a great time. We're headed to the Super Bowl next week. As Reese said, we are going to have our Super Bowl airing of grievances. We got a lot of people in our text chain that want to talk about certain things. We are we are the people's pod. So we're going to talk about that. Um, that won't be the main thing we talk about because we're going to talk about Kansas City Chiefs. Philadelphia Eagles. We got a lot to talk about there. Not only is it the Kelsey Bowl, the Andy Reid Bowl, but boy, we there's a lot of X's and O's that we can get into, which we will next week. So stay tuned for all of it. We're going to have a lot of fun content, but a lot of good content. Just like we did today, we talked about the meat and potatoes and had some fun. Uh, stay with us again for next week. If you liked what you see, if you like what you heard, please donate on Patreon. We'll see you next week. We're so fired up for Super Bowl weekend in Phoenix, Arizona, Kansas City Chiefs, Philadelphia Eagles. How about them Chiefs? We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes, and as always... I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 